Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bengalis and New York show. My name is Arik and uh, we were repping it for, you know, the Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and all over the world. So welcome and enjoy. So you just came back from Colombia. How was that? Oh, it was amazing. Uh, the people were wonderful. The food was good. Uh, yeah, it's uh, now that it's actually safe after... Uh, you know the wars have ended. A lot of tourists are going back. Okay. So uh, yeah, it's it's not expensive. Uh, wonderful. So I, I definitely recommend it. Your money goes a long way there too. I remember. Yeah, I think I was, I was at a four-star hotel. I think it was a hundred dollars a night. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, and the food. I love Spanish food, and it's authentic. Uh, yeah, I haven't. I don't find too many Colombian restaurants in New York. Have you found any? Uh, I've been in Jackson Heights. Jackson Heights. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. But you grew up... Uh, where did you grow up? You grew up in... Uh, I was born in Jackson Heights. Born in Jackson Heights. Yeah. Wow. Yep. I had dinner there last night in uh, Kebab King. Oh, okay. Yeah, my uh, grandparents immigrated from Ireland. Uh, first, they stopped in Hell's Kitchen, and then they moved to Sunnyside. Okay. So my dad moved to Sunnyside probably when he was around 14 and grew up here. Okay. Are they uh, still around? Your dad? Uh, he just passed a couple years ago. Okay, okay, okay. So I'm sure they had some of us uh, immigrant-like stories, just like what you hear from Bengalis nowadays, right? Like just first coming in, yep. you know, not, you know, maybe being discriminated against, and so, you, so, so a lot of the stories you hear from Bengalis are probably like uh, familiar to you, right? Yeah, it's actually it's it's uh, the the history is is kind of similar, you know, yeah. like being colonized by the English, yeah, and then the the famine. It's one of the defining things of sort of Irish history is the um, the Irish famine of 1840. So, and even at the height of the famine when uh, Ireland actually lost half its population. Uh, it went from 9 million to about 4 million. Oh, wow. I think 2 million died and the rest immigrated. But even during the height of it, the English were actually exporting food out of the country. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it wasn't a so much a natural disaster as it yeah. was bad government policy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, same thing in India. I mean, it, right. you know, Winston Churchill uh, was responsible for the famine of millions of Indians, mm -hmm. you know, that he was routing food to other places. It's uh, it's really, really sad. Right. Uh, and, and that's why, you know, immigration is so important to a lot of people in the Irish community because, you know, there was no, no, uh, there was no jobs, uh, uh, you know, so basically America and some other places like uh, Australia, London, were all this uh, sort of a valve where they could get, you know, out of the country and have an opportunity. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, so the Irish were kind of the, the first huge wave of immigration to hit America. Oh, wow. Um, and, yeah, they, uh, um, one of the things that they used to do is because they, actually back then they didn't consider the Irish the same race uh, as the English. Oh, wow. Right, so the English were Anglo-Saxons and the Irish are Celtic. Uh, so they thought they were an inferior race prone to crime and drinking. Uh, so a lot of times people would put up a sign in their store that they needed um, help, but they wouldn't take Irish people. So the sign would say um, Nina, which just meant no Irish need apply. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's, <laughs> it's it, yeah, like history repeats itself. Yep. So it's like I'm sure there was like a, a Donald Trump-like person mm -hmm. that was you know, beating the drum even back then, but Irish against yep. Irish. We call the, the nativists. Wow. So, yeah, 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 they considered sort of the Irish, the foreign uh, hordes, which were uh, changing uh, what America was supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, the Know Nothing Party uh, was also about that. So, keeping out all the non-Anglo-Saxons. Uh, 
Yeah. So I, I mean, I, one thing I really like about you have you've got people on your team that are that are you know from diverse backgrounds and stuff. Is that I'm sure that's intentional. Yes, I mean, well, one, I mean, I I love this neighborhood. I think yeah. this is probably the most diverse uh, place in the world, yeah. uh, and it happened naturally. Just um, that uh, my campaign uh, is very diverse, uh, both ethnically, religiously, uh, people from all different communities, LGBT community, people with disabilities. Um, so uh, I, I I think it's important. Uh, that the staff is diverse, that I get a diverse uh, matter of opinion. Yeah. Uh, and I'm really happy that so many people from all different um, communities have, have uh, joined and, you know, like the message that the campaign is about and want to help. Yeah. So it's, uh, uh, what, what's been your, like, strategy, like, to get the word out about you you and your, your ideas and your policies? Like, um, what are some of the things that's worked and what are some things that, that haven't worked? Right. Well, I mean, we've done the normal things with the Facebook page and the yeah. website, which we'll be, we're building out now. Uh, but it's also, it's just being around. So um, I, uh, I go to the Civic Association meetings. I go to the Tenant Association meetings. Um, and then when there is a crisis in the neighborhood, you know, we get together and rally. Um, I think that probably shows more of what I'm about, of which fights I've joined and, you know, how I try to help people. Yeah, you've, you're just really involved too in the in the community. You know, you did a lot of work with the uh, uh, in LIC with the uh, organization that cleans up the the Gantry Park and things like that, right? Yes, yeah. and uh, I founded the the Hunters Point Civic Association mm. about ten years ago to advocate for quality of life. Uh, so we have monthly meetings. We bring down elected officials and tell them what we need. We bring down government agencies and tell them what we need, and then we do charity. Uh, the the thing I'm most proud of is probably our annual food drive. The uh, Three weeks before Thanksgiving, uh, we go out and put boxes in about 40 different buildings and then collect them, sort, and distribute. And we do about 5,000 pounds of food and critical items, and we deliver it to three local food pantries in the neighborhood. Wow, that's amazing. What made you, uh, going back, what made you uh, originally want to get involved with politics? You know, actually, I I started more on the charity side. Um, I had had a successful career, and I was... Uh, financially independent and I realized how much people had helped me and all the opportunities that I had that helped me you know basically do you know be able to do the dreams that I had so I thought it was time for me to give back to the to the community so I started with charity parties so I started raising money for the Christina Noble Foundation which basically helped homeless kids get off the street and gave them a place to stay and health care and education and then as I was doing these things, I sort of noticed that a lot of the problems were systematic problems uh, and that you really had to go in and change how the system is to make a big impact. So I joined the local uh, Democratic Club uh, and then uh, I was elected chairman of that club. Uh, and then I was elected to the Democratic, Democratic National um, Committee. So for four years, I was going down to try to do party matters and make it more transparent and responsive. Um, and then uh, when I came back here, I organized uh, Irish Americans for Obama. Mm. So we were, uh, we were doing calls uh, into Irish neighborhoods in Ohio and running buses down to Irish neighborhoods in Philadelphia. Wow. Um, so it kind of just progressed more and more. Uh, it's kind of like the, like the Matrix. Once you swallow the pill, then you can't go back. <laughs> so once you see all these problems and yeah. you get more and more involved, yeah. um, then you just say, okay, you know, now I'm... Now I, I have to help. But I feel a responsibility. I, you know, I'm sort of the American story. You know, the 
you know, the, my immigrant grandparents who came here with no money. My father grew up working poor, and they gave me a good education, and you know, I was able to uh, fulfill all the things I wanted to do. So now it's my chance to basically make sure those doors are open for everybody else. Cool. Um, you know, and it looks, and you, you have some experience. So it's not like you just started. You woke up one day, you said you wanted to be a polit- you wanted to be in politics. You did a lot of community organizing. You talked about charities. There are a lot of individuals that are entering politics now. It seems like they've had very little experience, and I don't know if experience matters as much as it used to. It seems like. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think experience is necessary to be successful um, uh, at, at uh, some uh, government positions, or do you think it's it's just more about um, you know your intent and your ideas um, that you have? Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 your intent, uh, you know, what you want to do. I mean, there are certain skills sets that help, you know, when you are trying to, the, the tool that you have as, as a politician to change things is the law. So if you, you can say, I want this, I want this, but you have to actually turn that into a law which will accomplish and that. You're, and you're a lawyer. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm an so attorney. So, so yeah, that's one of the things. that You don't have to be, but it does well, help uh, because greatly. that's sort of the tool that you have to, to change people's lives. Greatly, yeah. Um, and then I would say, you know, being involved in doing things in the community, you actually see what works and what are the real problems. So um, a lot of the communities, you know, they say, you know, we don't want to see you only come around when there's an election. Uh, and I think that's right. Yeah. I think if somebody really cares, they're going to be here full time and not just show up. And, you know, that, that could indicate that they're looking for the title or power. Um, so me, win, lose, or draw, I mean, I've been fighting for the community for 10 years. If, even if I don't win, yeah. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and, and you're starting really early, too. Your election is not until late next year, correct? It should be in a year and a half. Okay. That would be the primary. Um, uh, but yeah, I wanted to get out there. I wanted to make sure that I could go to all different parts of the community and understand what their problems are. Um, this It's a very big area. Um, it's Woodside, Sunnyside, Long Island City, a little bit of Astoria. And as you know, there's so many different neighborhoods within yeah. the area. So I need to know what the what are the issues for the Bengali community, the Filipino community, yeah. the community of people with disabilities, LGBTQ plus community. So I'm glad that I've got out there and, uh, and, and started early. There is a chance it could be an early election. So the present city councilman is running for Queensborough president. If he did win that in March, that would set off another special election, uh, which would be a few months after that. So the election could actually only be about five months away. Wow. So I have to be ready for five months and ready for a year and a half. Wow, <laughs> wow, wow. So uh, you're running for city council uh, mm-hmm. of those areas. What, how do you simply explain to someone what the role of a city council member is? Okay, basically the city council is the legislature of New York City. So the mayor can't make any law in uh, New York City without a majority of the city council voting in favor of it. Okay. So we can also propose our own uh, legislation. Uh, we just have to convince 25 other city council members and then the mayor to sign it. But uh, it is a huge responsibility. I mean, we're, it's 9 million people. It's a $92 billion budget. It's transportation. It's seniors. It's sanitation. It's education. So it really, uh, uh, the city council of New York has a... Uh, large responsibility and a large power to influence people's lives. Twenty and this is twenty-five members in New York City. Well, fifty-one members. Fifty-one members. Yeah. Okay. So for a majority, you need twenty-six. Okay. 
Okay. Wow. So what are some of the ideas that you want, would like to put forth if you are to get elected? Well, I mean, number one, I think we're in an overdevelopment crisis right now. So I think there's a third year in a row that this is the fastest growing neighborhood in the country. So I'm going to be working with city planning. I think we need a comprehensive plan on basically how many people are coming, how many school seats we need, how do we get more green space, how do we get more libraries, how do we fix the sewer system. The sewer system is overflowing right now, even a light rain, uh, and it discharges pollution into the East River. So um, unfortunately, uh, city planning hasn't been uh, doing that job, uh, and I want to make sure that they do. So uh, I'll be working with them on that. Uh, second, I think our small businesses are in crisis. I mean, I think people walking around see how many vacant storefronts there are right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and, it's, and it does seem to be speculation because it's not that they are getting a higher rent and someone else is moving in. They are kicking these people out who have successful business and they're not replacing them with anybody. Yeah. So um, I'm on the record and I've testified on city council to uh, pass a Small Jobs Business Survival Act, um, which would actually uh, allow for arbitration for small businesses um, if their rent is increased. Uh, and also, uh, it would give them the right to a 10-year lease. Uh, it's very hard for a small business to be able to invest and plan if they, if they don't have a very short-term lease or they're you know, month to month. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to be working to make sure that small business, which is the real job creator in New York and which is the lifeblood of New York and, and really one of the keys to the American dreams, a lot of immigrant families get here and start up their small business. Yeah. So I want to make sure that they have the, the tools to, to have a fighting chance to, to make it in this city. Yeah. And I'd say the, the last one of the, there's a number of issues, but one of the big ones also is just rent. Uh, rent just keep going up. Uh, people are paying, you know, a third to a half of their salary in rent. Um, so uh, we have to make sure that New York City is affordable for working class and middle class people. Uh, so we're going to work on true affordable housing, uh, maybe Mitchell-Lama style. Mm -hmm. uh, where it's developed by nonprofit developers, uh, and then the rent can only increase a certain amount each year, adjusted for inflation. And awareness, right? So, you know, you must have mentioned Michelamas, and mm -hmm. I became familiar with them like, about two years ago uh, because someone applied for them that I knew. But nobody knows about that, knows about these programs. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows about projects, like the projects where, and uh, you know, some people are you know afraid about uh, of of uh, to go into some of these projects, but. Mitchell Lamas, uh, it's a great program and nobody knows about it. So I feel like, sometimes I feel like it's actually intentional that that they're not marketed. Um, I think so. Uh, also, um, it was, I think it's also a bit of political will. Yeah. So like um, in our district, uh, the in Woodside, there's a development called the Big Six, which was a Mitchell Lama program. Okay. Uh, very successful, very well maintained, good rents. Um, I think it's about a two, three year waiting list to get in. So... I mean, we need to increase the stock of those style mm -hmm. um, affordable housing. Mm, okay, and you talk about business, small businesses. Absolutely agree with you. It's you know black backbone of our of our economy. Just on Vernon, um, there's this restaurant that I, I, I went to a number of times. Desi Bowl, owned by a Bengali person, mm -hmm. um, and she uh, she actually hosted one of, one of our you know one of our events, and it's not it's vacant now. Yep. it's been vacant for uh, since the summer. Right. And, and and I and I but I, and I remember talking to her and one of the things she was excited about was Amazon coming to me uh, to Long Island City and we talked about this and I'll say we actually talked about this before they announced that they were they were actually going to bring jobs so I was wrong because I we had lunch and I actually was 
not an agreement that that New York uh, New York didn't support them to uh, to come to LIC. But then I think about a month ago they actually announced and Amazon announced that they are going to bring some jobs. Maybe not to the extent that they promised under their their proposal. So I was wrong, and you're right because you're like <laughs> they were gonna you know they they made you bring jobs anyway. Right. Um, and- so it worked out for for New York's favor and. And I was telling everybody, no, I, you know, we were wrong for not letting them come. Right. Yeah, I mean, Amazon needs to be in New York. Yeah. New York didn't need them. One of the things that I don't think people realized was the land that they were going to take, and a lot of it was public land, is about 26 acres on the water. It's some of the most desirable uh, land uh, in the world. So the program which they were coming on was for blighted areas, was for areas that no one would go to. That's why they were given these tax credits. Mm. So now uh, that they didn't come, uh, we've actually seen the interest again, and a group of four developers have gotten together. They said that their plan now has 50,000 jobs. Wow. So they've already doubled the amount of jobs. And then Amazon was a corporate re- relocation, so most of those were not job openings. Most of those were people coming with jobs. Mm. So we've already doubled it, have jobs from people all across the economic spectrum, and we get to keep the public land, which we really need in this area because we don't have enough area for schools and green space. Um, And because these people are coming without the tax incentives, that's $3 billion, which you're going to have in future tax revenue for New York, which is a lot of money. That's schools and hospitals and everything like that. So, you know, as we kind of explained, you you didn't have... it was strange that we were like in a competition to give away this valuable land, whereas we should have been making other people compete to see who would bring yeah. the best things to the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the plan is coming together. I actually hosted uh, a meeting with 12 different grassroots community organizations, uh, and we put together what we called the community RFP. And we said, these are the things that is best for the community, which we want on this land. And it included space for um, for light manufacturing, uh, for artist space, two schools, a rec center. Uh, we believe um, also a continuous waterfront. Um, and the the response we've got has been all of this is is doable. So I think we can get something amazing uh, for that area. Uh, one idea, actually, one person said that they would build a walking bridge from Long Island City to Roosevelt Island and make it activated with artwork, which I think is great because that opens up the Cornell Tech Campus and even makes like a tech corridor over there. So I think what we've tried to show, and I think we have, especially when when you'll see what the development is, that if you let the community be involved with city planning, show what we need, and then uh, have a plan, that works a lot better than having outside developers come and say, this is what we want to do with your neighborhood, you know, give us your feedback. Yeah. So we're trying to change the process so it's really community-led development instead of outside real estate interests telling us what's best for our neighborhood. Yeah, because, I mean, they're, they're worried about the bottom line and trying to make, trying to make money. Right. That, I mean, that's their, their, a, thing, yeah. their company. They're trying to make money. I understand that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's why it's important to have good elected officials to be the other side representing the neighborhood and saying you only make money off the neighborhood if you are helping the neighborhood. Okay. How do uh, people um, become more involved? Because I, I feel like I'm, I'm learning about local politics now. Uh, what's the best way for someone that's not uh, familiar with 
how to get what's the best way for someone to get involved there's all different ones i mean the community board each each neighborhood has a community board and you can go there and that will help you uh, understand a lot of the issues that are that are uh that are being being affected and each of the community boards has different committees so city services committee land use committee there's also civic associations in many neighborhoods uh, so like United 40 Civic over in Sunnyside, Dutch Kills Civic and Dutch Kills. Um, so there, there are different nonprofits um, that you can get involved with. And then there's also parties, you know, Working Families Party, Democratic Party, uh, whatever your uh, political bent is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the Bengali community um, tends to <coughs> lean left. Um, and that's one, one of the things that I've actually, I, I tried to talk about and I, I feel like um, you know, once a party knows they have your vote, mm-hmm. that they kind of take you for granted. Um, and so I actually, I try, I try to advise people to, you know what, keep an open mind. Just because someone is an independent or Republican, don't buy them up because maybe they'll actually, uh, because they want, because they don't have, they feel like they have to work harder to get your vote. Maybe they'll actually uh, give in to some of your demands as opposed to a, a party that knows they have your vote. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, b- being elected is, is a privilege. Yeah, uh, and yet you should they, you should never let them take you for granted. Yeah, um, constituent service is is what they should be about. So if they are not getting back to you, if they are not serving, uh, then you back somebody else or you run against them. Yeah, that's the democratic way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I went and met with the uh, South Asian American voter um, uh, organization, uh, and we had a great talk. Uh, and they were very interested in how everything works and how, you know, they can advocate for their community. And, th- and that's what it should be. So the elected officials should be showing up there. They should be accessible at any time. Um, and, you know, that's it's, it's, if they're doing their job, then you reelect them. And if they're not, you you elect them out. Yeah. <laughs> What's, what, are you, what is your stance on some of uh, some uh, uh, sta- uh, topics that the Bengali community would care about for immigration? What are your feelings on DACA? Um, and providing um, a path to citizenship for people that are undocumented. Right. Um, yeah, immigration is a, is, a, is a big issue for me. So, yeah, I'm very supportive of DACA. Um, there's actually two bipartisan immigration bills in Congress right now, um, and they decided not to sign them. I think the Republicans decided not to because they wanted to use it for uh, election issues. Um, it's the immigration system is broken. Everybody's agreed on that. So... The sooner we get one of those bills in to provide a real path to citizenship, uh, the better off we are. Um, for now, I mean, we're just going to, uh, on my level, I'm going to try to support our immigrant and our undocumented communities as, as best I can, make sure that they have the services and the protection uh, and health care and education. So um, yeah. I was glad that they were given the right to have driver's licenses recently. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, people have to understand they're... Um, they're you know wonderful people and they deserve a chance so um, and the system is broken right now so it's not their fault that they yeah. can't apply um, I've actually run into some people um, of Italian Irish descent and they said well our, four, our forefathers came here legally and I have to remind them I said no 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 your forefathers came here before there was a law against there was it. a law against it right. yeah. basically in the old days if you got to Ellis Island, and you weren't sick, yeah. you were let in. Yeah. So yeah, these new rules make it very hard for anybody to uh, to come here. So we have to yeah. fix the system, and in the meantime, support our communities. Yeah, and and enforce in a you know, and I agree with enforcing the laws also, right? There, there needs to be 
there needs to be a, a, a path to citizenship for people that are here, but also uh, enforcing the legal way to to come to this to the to the country because and, and but and also going back to what you were saying about the people that are already here, um, there there's um, you know thousands of undocumented immigrants here that are paying taxes, mm-hmm. but, yes. but they're not reaping the benefits, right? And that's right. the that's the difference, right? So if somebody is buying a can of Coke that whatever eight percent is is tax is going toward taxes, right? That's money that they're paying toward the to, for government services or medical services, but they're not. They're afraid to go to the emergency office or emergency room or right. to to reap the benefits, or they they can't apply for food stamps because they're not they're not a citizen, but they're actually paying toward these services and they're not getting it. Right, <clears throat> no, they're paying taxes in a number of different ways. A number of them are actually paying into Social Security and, yeah. and other things, but. And there's a lot actually who'd like to, but they are scared that if they start exactly. doing that, then they're going to be yeah. discovered and yeah. you know, held against them. Exactly. Um, <coughs> what about uh, medical for, for uh, Medicare for all? What are your What are your thoughts on Medicare for all? Um, actually, I've, I've lived in a few different countries, and they had um, universal health care. I lived in Japan for ten years. I lived in uh, England for a year and Ireland for six months, and the process worked great. Yeah. Um, Are they it, satisfied? Are the people satisfied with that system? Yeah. I mean, I, I never heard a complaint about it. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I, I broke my leg playing football when I was in Japan. Oh, no. They set my foot, replaced my cast twice, uh, had regular visits. Never wow. a problem. I think at the end of the day, I got a bill for $150. Wow. Right. American football? Yes. They play American football in Japan? I would have never they thought. They do. They do. Uh, wow. so, some, of the, some of the colleges there do. Wow. Um, but the th- But it's... You know, every other industrialized country in the world does it. It's a system that works. It yeah. doesn't overburden. It's not a big tax burden. So the excuse that the Republicans have that somehow it's too expensive has been disproven all over the world already. So we would actually be saving money if we instituted it. And I'm, I'm, my view is that healthcare is a human right. Yeah. You know, people aren't trying to get sick. You know, it's it's. You know, the, as they say, a sign of a good society is how you take care of your old and your and 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 your your sick uh, and your and your young. So, I mean, I think that's a real duty of the the government to make sure that it's um, that its citizens are taken care of. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and also, if uh, people have more routine checkups and they have health care and they have more routine checkups, that'll actually save money in the long run because nowadays, if somebody goes to the airport, the emergency room, um, I think they have to be uh, they have to be taken care of. Right. And but if they have a severe condition that they could have stopped earlier on through checkups, um, could have the, the system would have actually saved money. Yeah. Uh, no. Exactly. That's why um, you know they've shown that these other systems that are used around the world are we we spend in the in the U.S. we spend more money on healthcare and we get less coverage. Yeah. So it's a broken system. I mean, I think the only reason that we're following it is because it makes a lot of money yeah. for certain insurance companies. Yeah, I actually don't have healthcare right now. <laughs> yeah, literally, I just quit my job. I, I left my job already, so as of right now, I don't have healthcare because I wouldn't. I'm only here for a little bit, but let's say I let's say I wasn't leaving, I wouldn't qualify for like Medicaid because right. I made too much, and I don't have a job. So without a job right now, I don't have health care. So if I broke my leg right now in your apartment, right. no, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be covered. Right. That's crazy. Yeah, and 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 it's also. I mean, it, it, it's the cost of health care is one of the top reasons for family bankruptcies. 
So that's horrible. Yes. So, yeah. and, and I, I just think that it's that's, morally wrong that a family would have to say, "I will either take care of one of my family members, or, or we, but we might have to go bankrupt for it." Wow. Um, and that uncertainty and that worry is also another thing um, that I think is 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 horrible. So, um, it's it's supposed to be an insurance sort of plan. You know, you don't plan to get sick, but if you do, it's there. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I've seen it work everywhere else. I would like to see it instituted here. Um, it, my role in city council, um, I, I'm hoping that they're going to do it for New York State. Uh, I would probably try to be plugging the holes that are in the system. So I work sometimes with places like the Floating Hospital and mm-hmm. other places like that so that there would be places where you get free quality health care mm-hmm. if you don't have it at that moment. Okay. Well, the two arguments that you hear against universal health care is A, they say that the quality isn't great for mm-hmm. the government um, mandated healthcare, and two, the second um, uh, argument against it is that the countries where it's worked are, mm-hmm. are, are smaller than, than than the United States. So, what do you what do you think about that? Well, I mean, I think Japan is about one fourth of the size, which is not that far off. Um, so I don't think it's a problem with scalability. I mean, the system scales up and scales down. It's basically. You know, you're paying in with your taxes and you're getting a certain level of service. And we can debate how much, you know, what should be covered and what shouldn't be. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't see any reason why uh, the population size has anything to do with whether the system works or not. Okay. Um, uh, and then quality? Quality is I've, I've traveled around the world. The Canadians love their health care. The Taiwan has they say that's one of the best in the world. Japan loved it. Uh, UK, they 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 seem very help, happy with it. So yeah, it seems to be. If you ask the people who use it, they're happy. And yeah. you have, ask the Republicans in America, they say no, those people are lying. They're really not happy. So yeah, and there, there seems to be <laughs> and there seems to be money, uh, you know, made out of thin air when uh, when it comes to like wars and stuff. And we'll get into that next because we're just you know imminent like war. It seems with uh, you know what's going on with Iran. Um, yeah, they're coming out of money. It seems like they're making money when it comes to this kind of stuff, but there's no money for health care. Uh, exactly. I mean, I think the probably the huge, the, the biggest waste we have is in the military-industrial complex. There's so much money lost there, and nobody goes in there and says, how can we afford, how can we afford this and all this waste? Uh, but, of course, when you talk about things like education and health care, then they say it's too no expensive. Money. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's very disingenuous. Um, if we had $32 trillion for our, to give tax cuts to, for uh, billionaires, I mean, we have enough money to provide health care to our citizens. Yeah. Well, Bill Gates um, just he wrote an op-ed saying that he, he, he's, he wishes he was taxed higher at a higher rate, which is, which is nice. Right. And Warren Buffett has done that also, so which is nice. I mean, these guys are saying tax me more. You know? Yeah, there's a group called the Patriotic Billionaires, Yeah, uh, and they've said that. They, they realize... Um, you know, it's they've done well, and they've done well because of the infrastructure of America, because of our legal system, because of the, the the roads, the education, everything else. And they understand that you know because they were able to take advantage of everything that they have a responsibility to pay back in. Yeah, and you know it's it's paying for service. Yeah, the ar- the argument against uh, the argument people will have against. Uh, lower corporate tax rate is that they'll say that it will stunt uh, innovation, so these comp- or people won't start companies or people won't you know try to s- grow their companies. Bill Gates had an answer for that, and he said when he started Microsoft, corporate tax rates were actually a lot higher than they are now. 
Right. So, and they still started Microsoft. So, right. I mean, some of the top economic periods of economic prosperities we've had, the tax rate has been much higher. Yeah. You know, under, uh, you know, after World War II, tax rates on the, on the top were, I think, close to 70, 80 wow. percent. Uh, even under uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, the tax on the top was was uh, very was was uh, very high. It yeah didn't stifle the econ- economy at all. So another false argument put out there. It's you know it's there are unfortunately the other side of the patriotic billionaires. There's the unpatriotic billionaires. Uh, <laughs> oh and, yeah, and they uh, they just think that um, if they donate to the right person, that person will bring down their taxes. Uh, and they'll make more money even if the the country suffers. But it does work though, right? You know, you talked about what you just said. It does work. People pay money toward the right candidates or a lobbying organization, and the lobbying organization or it, it works, right? Like, how do you get how do you get out of that? If right. Well, I mean, unfortunately, we have Citizens United, which actually yeah. said that uh, money is free speech. Uh, I think it's one of the worst Supreme Court Horrible. decisions yeah, yeah. Uh, of all time. Um, I, I I thought it was interesting when. A uh, person said, I will believe that companies are uh, uh, are real people as soon as uh, Texas executes one. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, you know, a company is a legal fiction. That's yeah. one of the first things you learn in law school. Uh, it's an organizational structure. It's not a person. It should not have the rights of people. It only has the right to contract so it can do business. But so unfortunately, that unleashed a lot of uh, money through politics. So, yeah, I mean, the key is how do you get the money out of politics? And that's it's a hard question these days. Uh, luckily, in New York City, we have a, fi- uh, a public campaign finance law. <clears throat> so if you get a donation from a New York City resident, uh, the government will match it eight times for the first $175. So it allows people who are not rich to run for office and it levels the playing field. So hopefully... Uh, we'll also get some good campaign finance laws at the state level and the federal level, which will dampen down the uh, effects of the dirty money in, in the system. Okay. And also, you know, different political action committees, we need more transparency in where the money is coming from. Because, you know, when you see you know, a, a group called the you know, Americans for Prosperity, and you don't realize that it's really the oil and uh, gas industry, um, you know, it, it's... It, 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 it's, it's their way to influence policy without showing who they are. Yeah. So I think even if you are able to uh, donate money or use a pack, at least we should be able to trace the money back and see who really contributed it so we'll know uh, what their motivation was. It's, it's so interesting they're called American for Prosperity. <laughs> it, just, it just shows you that you name, it's like the Patriot Act, you name something a certain way, it'll just get uh, uh, some people without knowing what it is will just get a positive reaction it reminds me of uh, and will actually bring me to my next question about um, universal basic income uh, Andrew Yang is a big proponent of universal right. basic income but he doesn't want to call it universal basic income and he did a study on what it should be called and it ended up the, the, the label that got the best reaction was prosperity dividend Okay. <laughs> so instead of calling a universal basic income, because people don't hate that, right. even people on the right hate hate that. Right. But if once you call it prosperity dividend, they loved it. Right. But that's interesting. When you when you do surveys, like most people said that they were in favor of the Affordable Care Act, but they were against Obamacare, <laughs> and it's the same thing. So yeah, if you if you called it Obamacare, they were against it. If you called it the Affordable Care Act, they were for it. So yeah, so sometimes it's it's uh, it's hard. 
And, and I, I understand people are busy and it's hard to get information these days. And another huge problem we have is that we have no more news. Yeah. We don't have an unbiased news source calling out, uh, you know, when one side or the other is lying. So we just have a lot of media and it's hard for people to figure out who is lying to them and why they're lying to them. Yeah. Where do you get your news? Um, the magazine I read the most is called The Week, which actually has the perspective of conservative liberals. So basically it shows the different viewpoints that everybody um, comes in at. Um, and then uh, I do my own research. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's and then people will send me things and I'll research it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's getting more and more difficult to yeah. to fight through the clutter. Yeah, there's a lot of clutter. My I was an anthropology minor, mm-hmm. and my anthropology teacher, professor, um, for uh, one entire semester, every single day, all we did was read, read the newspaper. Um, so he, he asked everybody to bring in the New York Times, and then sometimes another newspaper. We just sat and read, read the newspaper, and he wanted... But well, the reason was he wanted... Uh, anthropology is the... Uh, is the... Uh, is, is the understanding culture so he, he wanted us to understand our culture but also understand how um, understand uh, how some of these news articles co- contradict themselves and also just know how to like uh, re, you know not look past the bullshit that's in right. some of these articles some of these newspaper articles and it wasn't just the times there's other other newspapers also but it's just like learning how to, need to read the newspaper it taught me how to read the newspaper to like take things and just like figure out sometimes when you read, read bias to identify bias right um, contradictions, things like this. I found, I find, I found that really interesting. Uh, but it, you know, everybody has a time for that. I mean, sometimes it's like you just read the head. Some people just read the headlines, and and, right. the, and that's it. Right. And I'd say, you know, they say left and right, but I'd say actually one of the big problems is what I'd say the, is the corporate media. So I would say the our normal stations, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS. I'd say they don't lean left or right. They just won't touch anything because they'll be they'll be accused of bias. So they don't explain what the Affordable Care Act is. They don't explain what's going on. The only news that they'll tell you about politics is who's leading uh, in the election. Hmm. But they, I think news has an obligation to educate the public and also to call out when one side or the other side is lying. Uh, but I think that a lot of them have abdicated it uh, and they just want to make sure that there's no controversy and that they're... Uh, their funders keep funding them, uh, so they've sort of not done left or right, but they've also abdicated their their uh, duty to the American system yeah. system to say what's true and what's not true and educate the people. Wasn't there a law, something doctrine, where they showed the cable? The, the fairness doctrine. Fairness doctrine. And it's actually gone. Uh, so oh. yeah, uh, it's there it was a federal regulation. Oh, that's why they can do it now. They can do it yeah. now. Yeah, we should bring that back. So the fairness doctrine actually would give some equal time uh, for the other side to respond. So uh, I would love that if, uh, yeah. you know, I'll call up Fox and I'll say, okay, yeah. you know, you say this is, this is your opinion. Well, let me get on and say the other side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's just interesting. And I'm sure the way that was um, uh, taken out, uh, it was some sort of lobbying, right? On the part yeah. of the cable news uh, networks. Yeah, I think so. Wow, yeah. So it's fascinating. One thing you talked about earlier, I wanted to get back to, is you were talking about the uh, how uh, now undocumented immigrants are now allowed to have uh, driver licenses. Right. Like that specific uh, change, how does that go about? And like right. in terms of like how, what law needs to, how does that work? Well, that was a state law. 
Okay. Uh, so, uh, but it was you know just a change in the regulation. So before you needed to show proof of citizenship uh, to apply, uh, and now they said, and you know, for public safety and and other reasons, uh, we will allow people who are not um, citizens or uh, or documented residents to be able to apply. Uh, and then I assume that their information is kept in the state database and not accessible to federal, the federal okay. database. But was there some uh, group that was uh, trying to make that change happen? Um, yeah, I mean, there was lobbying. Um, so the I, I would think that um, it came from the grassroots organizations. Okay. Uh, so probably groups like Make the Road New York uh, okay. and others who represent a lot of the uh, undocumented community you know, put forth this rule and then they visit the different legislators and explain the reasoning behind it. And uh, I think the main push was uh, it's a public safety issue. We don't want yeah. people who are, you know, who are driving around who, who don't have this. And yeah. So. yeah, makes sense. So how do people find out more about you? Um, and, uh, you know, I guess uh, what's your last, you know, message to people that are, that are listening? Okay. Well, I mean, I want to thank you for your support. I've actually gotten uh, a lot of support from the from the South Asian community. I right. want to really yeah. appreciate that. Um, I have South Asians on my staff, so they're always advising me, uh, and uh, I appreciate all the um, the contributors and everybody's been helping. Um, you can find out about the campaign on my website, which is oleryforcouncil.com, on the Facebook page, which is O'Leary for Council, um, and. Uh, I just uh, would like to like. I think the most important thing is for people to know that the their representative has is unconflicted, is only fighting for them. So I gotta say I'm very proud that my campaign is the first campaign to refuse all donations from real estate developers, because I understood how much influence they have over what goes on in New York City uh, politics. We've also refused all money from lobbyists, from corporations and LLCs. So. Uh, I'm not from a political office or anything. I just decided that this is my time to give back. So um, I believe that uh, I want the people to know that I'm only doing this uh, to represent them and to make sure that the neighborhood grows uh, appropriately and that everybody, uh, no matter their ethnicity or their religion or their gender or their sexual identity, will all have the same opportunities and protections uh, that anybody else does. So this is based on... Uh, making sure that everybody uh, can follow the American dream the way they like. So I will be fighting my hardest, and I appreciate all the support. So thank you very much. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, good luck, and I hope we get to talk once you're in office. Thank you. I appreciate it.